Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Wednesday, December the 28th, 2022. And I am basically continuing my tour around the world, speaking with financial planners around the world who specialize in all of the U.S. place of birth-induced problems worldwide. And today is uh, actually the second time I've spoken with Aaron Katzman. He did a podcast with me a couple of years ago. Uh, so we're in reverse today, but today I'm speaking with Aaron Katzman, who is in Jerusalem, Israel, and runs a company called Lighthouse Financial. Have I got all that right so far, Aaron? So far, so good. So far, so good. Excellent. <laughs> Anyway, uh, thanks very much for connecting with me today. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I've seen some of your videos, and uh, I can see that you are absolutely 100% engaged in this, both professionally, financially, emotionally, all that great stuff. But it's always interesting to begin with, how in the world did you, A, end up in Israel, and B, end up in the financial planning business? <laughs> um, well, uh, I like to say I lost a bet. And that's how I ended up in Israel. But no, I actually, um, it's ba more based on sort of, uh, uh, I would say religious grounds or, or nationalistic grounds, um, being Jewish. Um, I felt that uh, sort of Israel is the homeland of the Jewish people. And I want to be part of sort of creating um, a new history, um, you know, the revival of, of sort of the Jewish people in their homeland. And I felt that I had an obligation to be part of that. So that's why I came. It's far from, you know, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, which is, uh, it's 10,000 miles and uh, 20,000 miles of culture different than it is in Israel. But uh, so far, so 30 years later, I'm still here to speak about it. Um, and then I got into financial planning. I, I From a young age, I was always interested in financial markets um, and investing. And um, I'm sort of self-taught. But, uh, you know, I read a lot and I followed the newspaper and followed really stuff. any other way than being self-taught with this stuff. I don't I, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think it's you have to you have to do it yourself. Uh, you know, you can be in a company or whatever, but ultimately it's you and the client. And uh, that's the only way you learn. You know, sometimes you learn the hard way, but uh, you have to be self-taught. I would agree with that. So I don't think there's a real easy way to learn much of anything that matters in this world. <laughs> you know, if it were easy, then there wouldn't be all these people who don't know stuff, right? So that's for sure, especially when it comes to money. But... Oh, you know, yeah, that that is an incredible problem. And since you raised that, why don't we start there? Because what I am finding, I'm just finding it fascinating, you know, talking to you, to the group of people, which you are one, you know, or financial planners helping American citizens abroad. But, you know, the first thing I'd like to get your, your take on is you would agree that this is something people have trouble with, right? Getting started, focusing on all that stuff or not. Yeah, you don't have to be an American abroad. Anybody has trouble, I think, with money and getting started and investing. I mean, that's why you see that, you know, uh, you know, the average size of savings is, uh, you know, people of Americans in their 50s is laughable. Um, and you know, debt, it's a real problem. And debt is running rampant. You know, when you just whip out your plastic card, you know, and you get points at, uh, you know, at a hotel of your choice. Um, in order to, you know, and, and you put it on a three-month payment plan, 
it's just a recipe for disaster, right? You, oh, you, know, no. you know, you it's you have a whole industry pushing um, bad financial habits, and they're winning. Unfortunately, I find that they're winning. It's it's sad, they're, they're but they're annihilating. Winning. It's it's not it's not even close. It, it's absolute annihilation. And it may be because, you know, you talk about the putting stuff on cards and stuff. I mean, I once heard it said that people will pay anything for something free. Right. <laughs> That's well, well said. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's pretty obvious this stuff is, uh, uh, you know, is, is basically harmful. You know, like these damn credit cards, they're harmful to people who use them. They're harmful, harmful to merchants. They're basically, I mean, who are the Just the banks who issue them. That's it. That's why the that's why you go from high rise to high rise, and the name you know the 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 high rises are named after the banks and the credit card companies. Oh, don't for, don't forget the lawyers and tax compliance. <laughs> but there's a a big industry. There are a lot of people making a lot of money because of uh, other people's financial mismanagement. Let's just yeah, leave it at that. Absolutely, I think that that's a great way to put it. So, what's the psychology here? Seriously, I'm trying to figure this out. I mean. You know, it is so obvious. I mean, I have sort of one foot in this century and one in the last century. In other words, I remember a time, you probably do too, you know, when basically there was an expectation of pensions, you know, and people worked and retired, this sort of stuff. And that's like just so far gone, right? I mean, it's just so last century. So, I mean, you would agree with me that people have an absolute personal, social, familial obligation to, you know, to worry about this stuff? Would you agree? I think so. And they you know. don't. So what's the psychology here? Why is it so hard for them? I, you know, I think that we live in the sort of, we're living in the remote controlled generation and people aren't able to focus and, you know, they want everything is instant and that includes gratification. And if they can buy something today and, you know, and be gratified and, and, and have a quick, you know, emotional high from whatever it is they're purchasing. So they're going to do it. And the heck with, the, you know, the heck with what's going to be in five or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, or when I'm retired, who cares, right? We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But today I want to, you know, I want to be happy. So I'm going to buy, you know, a fancy car or I'm going to buy a boat or whatever right, people buy. Right there on the fancy car. Let me tell you what I think about that. You know, I once told, had this idea that anybody could generate a, you know, retirement nest egg uh, by basically uh, doing two things. Uh, the first is never buy a new car. Uh, and the second is just avoid debt. Would you agree with that? I mean, the, the car thing is simply unbelievable. A friend of mine, this just blew my mind, okay, last week paid $80,000 for a new wow. vehicle, 80,000 bucks. Okay. I mean, here I am driving my 15 year old Hyundai right worth. Maybe, I don't know, 3000 bucks. I'm looking right. at this and I, I thought, what's 80 divided by three. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can buy 26 of my cars, <laughs> you know, for this. And I thought, as far as I can tell my car started today, I mean, right. What gives here? I mean, that's, that's incredible stuff, isn't it? And ultimately, you know, the point of the car is to get you from point A to point B and get you there safely. And, you know, I don't understand. I've never been a big car person myself, but whatever it is that floats your boat, right, you still have to be responsible. And unfortunately, you just 
people aren't and they they just want it and you know it, again if you can put it on a payment plan then you don't have to pay the piper at the end of the day you can just sort of push it off and push it off and push it off but they don't realize that the car and the boat and the tv and the iphone it all adds up and at the end of the day you don't have money for anything, you know, and, and you know, you can't get out of the payments and it's a black hole. You keep circling down and circling sucks you in and uh, you can't get out of it. I see that a lot. I actually volunteer for an organization here. I'm on the board now, but I volunteered for an organization that worked with people who were in debt to help them get them out of debt. And, uh, you know, I've met hundreds over the years. I've worked with hundreds of families and it's the same thing. It's over and over again. It's just the same story, how they got into debt. You know, they wanted, oftentimes you'll find young couples who sort of wanted the same lifestyle their parents had, but they didn't realize that their parents worked 30 years to get that lifestyle. And they wanted it, you know, the day they were married, you know, they went out and they furnished the home with the most expensive furnishings and they bought the fancy car. And, you know, within six months, they had $50,000 of debt and they had no way of getting out of it. And uh, you just see it over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, an observation or a thought I have on this, and I'd like to get your response, is that a lot of people, particularly the younger generation, they think in terms of can they make payments? They don't think in terms of how much something costs, right? And so I look at this, and I don't know what the real estate market has been doing in Jerusalem the last decade or so, but in Toronto, it's just been over the top, if you read The Economist. And you know, I watch these prices, you know, go to the point where no sane person would, would do this, right? But because the interest rates are low, the way they view it is, well, I can make the payment sort of thing. I mean, do you find that with people that they're more, can I make the payment focus as opposed to, is it a good use of money or what does it cost? A hundred percent. That's how everybody here looks at it. When you're buying, a, you know, that nobody thinks about the only question is can i make the payment or how much of a mortgage can i take that i can sort of still make the payment so that's the way that, that everybody looks a at recipe it. towards never getting ahead financially i mean unless your view is you know the the house you just overpaid by 25 percent, you know it's going to continue going up right well here it's a little bit different there are different dynamics at play sort of in the Israeli real estate market in Jerusalem in particular, there's a real sort of supply and demand mismatch, um, huge demand, not a lot of new building. So, but even that works its way, it works out at the end. And at some point prices get so ridiculous that nobody's going to buy and the market sort of freezes up, but it's still the same thing. It comes back to the buyers are all how much, what's going to cost me a month? Nobody, nobody calculates, well, how much is going to cost me over the next 25 years? Right, they calculate what's going to cost me in a month, and now interest rates are moving higher, so that sort of blew up. And uh, you know, it, it, it's it, it's unfortunate that people don't look uh, look ahead and, and understand the ramifications of their decisions on their financial future. But nobody thinks about their financial future. So, so I've got to ask you this, Aaron. So here you are, 25 years, you tell me, into your career as a financial planner. And the way you're talking, there are no people out there to use your services. Well, maybe maybe we're exaggerating a bit. But if you're talking about the overwhelming, you know, the, the majority of the population or a good percentage of them, I don't know the statistics, but there are a lot of people out there who are not, um, who could be way better off financially 
you know, if they just took a few simple steps and they thought about things a little bit, you know, there are always people out there who follow the book. All right. It's not well, complicated. Let's outline some of these simple steps, things that any moron can do. Uh, live within your means. Okay. That's now, about as moronic. <laughs> that's pretty much it, right? If you, that, if that's you, too hard for the average mind to comprehend, right? If you so, spend less or equal to what you bring in, you will be in a lot better shape than if you spend a lot more than you bring in. That's pretty much rule number one. And it's also the hardest for people to follow. For sure. Because it doesn't apply to them. It applies to everybody else, but not to them somehow. It applies to everybody else, but you have this whole machine, right? You have this whole machine, this consumer machine that's pulling you in the opposite direction. And I understand, right? For some people, if you, if you didn't get an education about it, you never grew up with it, you never got the right messaging, it's overwhelming, right? And, the, and, and you know, buy and, you know, 0% payment plans and all those kinds of things. It's overwhelming for most people if they, you know, and, and to try and stand up against that takes a certain sort of internal fortitude almost. And a lot of people can't do it. Almost like beating a drinking problem, isn't it? You know, that's, that's, not, that's not a bad analogy. Maybe instead of AA, they should have spending anonymous or something. Well, like they that. have debtors anonymous. Oh, there is in. debtors anonymous for sure. It's big and it, it's based on. The rules to get out are very similar to like AA's rules. It's the same, you know, the 10 steps or whatever. It's very, very, very similar to, to AA, but there is debtors anonymous for sure. All right. So step number one is, you know, live within your means. I like that because I can understand it. My view of the world is that if, you know, if it's not simple, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, you know, you hear time and time again, you know, you somebody like Charlie Munger talk or, you know, these kinds of people, right? I say, well, you know, I mean, all you have to do is just buy a basket of stocks and U.S. companies, wait 30 years, and, you know, no matter what, you know, you're going to end up with, how about you say, a lot more than you started with, right? In other words, sure. it seems to me that, I mean, you know, I've made so many mistakes in my own life that I don't think perfection is the issue. I think it's just, you know, moving in the right direction consistently, right? Uh, but it's so much easier to move in the right direction, you know, than it is to do all this other stuff anyway, right? But still people won't do it. And I think what you said was spot on, right? It's very much sort of two steps forward, one step back. We all make mistakes. Even and if there's a financial, even the financial planners that you're interviewing, if they don't say that they make mistakes, they're not telling the truth. <laughs> I make mistakes. I make mistakes. You, you want to make you want to, you know, you want to limit the amount of mistakes. But, you know, on a professional and individual on in, individual finances, we all make mistakes. But uh, you like you say, you have to go forward. Yeah, there's a difference between moving in the right direction and not stumbling. I mean, everybody 100%. stumbles, but you need to keep stumbling in the right direction. All right. So the first problem is live within your means what's the second thing well i would uh, you know you can either say a one a one a or call it number two is you know no debt uh, uh, with the exception of a mortgage um you know debt is bad because you're paying them instead of you know putting money away for yourself that's it, it's pretty much right. those that i understand there are times right there are emergencies that happen and you know, bad things happen and sometimes there's no choice. But for 98% of the cases, there's no reason for people other than a mortgage to have any kind of consumer debt. There's really well, the no mortgage reason. is investing in it's borrowing money to at least buy an asset, right? Right. It's a lousy investment, but at least you're heading in the right direction, as you say. 
Yeah, but I mean, you at the end of the day end up with a home. Yeah, I mean, with a car, I mean, it's totally insane. It depreciates every day. Depreciating asset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So, no debt. Good. I like that. Next to invest, start to save. That's that's where the magic happens. All right. How do people save? Because there's this whole mentality I don't make any money. I don't have any money. How can I save? And what do you say to them, Aaron? You can, you know, you don't have to start off, you know, you don't start off, nobody starts off wealthy. You start off just like when you, you know, you learn to walk or you learn to read, right? You learn to walk, you, you know, the baby gets up on its feet and falls and gets up and falls, but then starts one step after the other. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they know how to run. And 10 years later, they can run a marathon or a half marathon, right? That's, it's a process and investing is a process. You start small. If you're employed and you're getting, you know, 401k, you're getting matching, grab it, right? If you get an, if you can open up an IRA, grab it and start putting money in even every month or just in a regular taxable account. If you can put away 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, whatever it is, obviously in the financial planning world, you know, we have our 10 to 15%, uh, you know, of your income to save, right? But even if you can't do that at the beginning, save something and start, like we said, get yourself headed in the right direction. And the younger you do it, the better off you're going to be. I mean, there's all kinds of data and people can look online. There are all these, um, they call them uh, compound interest calculators. And if you just want to have fun, you can just put in all the data. You can put in how old you are, when you want to retire, you know, putting $50 a month away, you know, at what percentage interest rate and you click, you click on the enter and it tells you by the age of 65, you're going to have $800,000 in the bank. You're going to have $1.5 million in the bank. And it's not because you started with a quarter of a million dollars. And it's not because you put away chunks of $50,000 at a time. It's just by putting away $100, $200, whatever it is, it adds up and it compounds. And at the end of the day, you have real, real substantial um, worth at the end of the day. And there's nothing, it's not complicated. It's it's really not complicated. And it's not for the privileged. Anybody can do it, but few people do do it. It's shocking. It shocks me. Well, you put it that way, it's shocking. I mean, this is great. I'm getting a, a combination of a lesson reminder. I mean, this. I mean, I think you need to. I think you need to hit the road. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll give you. I'll put it for you. Sort of easier than that. I have this thing because you know, in my, I have, I provide. I'm a. I'm pretty good I, employer. I provide coffee have coffee for my employees and it kills me kills me when they go outside and they go to a cafe and they buy coffee it kills me because you know three coffees a week if they just put that money into an exchange traded fund or put that money into a stock or whatever at the end of the day there's over years you're talking about tens and tens of thousands of dollars that people are spending when they have it right in front of them. They get free coffee. Right? Why spend money? Again, I don't have anything against Starbucks, right? If you want to go enjoy somebody, if you're getting it, if somebody's giving it to you for free, why spend money on it? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And you can just it's sort of- Because it's free. Give it to them at a discount. Give it to a discount. <laughs> You'll probably be better off. All right. Charge them for it. Charge right, them for the next. coffee. I mean, continuing on here. What what next? So 
We've spoken about not staying um, in shape. You know, you, what you're really talking about is a, is a is a training program. It's analogous to an exercise, but how do you keep it up? How do you stay in shape? Right. You have to keep you you keep doing it, and every you know every now and then you go to the doctor and you get a physical. Right. That's the, like you know that's analogous to sort of reviewing your financial, not just your portfolio, but your financial situation. Um, you don't have to do it every week. Right, but you can do it once a year, twice a year, just to make sure again that you're headed in the right direction. Um, again, am I spending? You know, you want a budget. Obviously, we forgot about that, but that's part of living within your means. Sort of goes without saying that you, you know, the way to live within your means is to know where your money is going, right, and to allocate your dollars to your lifestyle. But make sure at the end of the day that that you have a little bit left, right, or, or put in one of the line 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 items in your budget savings right that should be number one you know you know mortgage and then savings and then utilities and then food and gym and internet whatever it's just part of the part of the budget but check check yourself just you know you go to a doctor once a year you can go to a financial advisor you can sit down and with a pen and paper and just do it yourself and if you need help so you can go to a professional but again it's not that complicated make sure that you're heading in the right direction make sure that you're saving ultimately 10 percent of your of your income whether it's in a retirement plan offered by your employer or if you're doing it on your own just make sure that you know those steps and it, you know at the end of the day and you're gonna have bad years like this year you're gonna you're gonna take a you know a, a net worth so to speak step backward markets drop okay markets drop nothing goes up in a straight line but over time trust the process because the process as you said earlier right the tro- the process works and over 10 20 30 years, the process has proved itself over every single time period to be successful. And that's the way to um, grow wealth and have comfortable and, and be secure and comfortable down the road. Well, you know, you, you keep this theme of moving in the right direction. Then I think about the name of your company, Lighthouse Financial, right? It makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, you're the lighthouse sort of, you know, keeping them moving in the right direction, I guess, which is actually a great name. So how many years ago did you found Lighthouse Financial? So I started um, actually in the when the Lighthouse was needed. I started in the middle of the financial crisis. Um, and I started my business at the beginning of 2009. Um, so, you know, the end of 2008, Lehman Brothers blew up and, and every the world was teetering on the end of the financial system. And that's what I, nothing like opening up right, a financial company right in the middle of a financial storm. But- uh, No, that would be the best time of all. Correct. That's the best time at all. And 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 it just goes to show, just like in terms of business for individuals, right? Don't get scared off just because, you know, things are bad for a short period of time because ultimately, again, the process works and, and uh, trust it. And the same thing with a business. All right. So, of course, what got us connected a couple of years ago, although I really am enjoying listening to your perceptions of this stuff, probably because I agree with most of them and you're articulating them really, really <laughs> well. We're kindred, that always spirits. Helps. We're kindred spirits on this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what, what brought us together a couple of years ago were these uh, U.S. place of birth induced kinds of problems. So you're an American, you're a dual citizen. Presumably, right? Living yeah. living in Jerusalem. And uh, 
you know, I would think that that would give you uh, special insights into the problems of U.S. citizenship and financial planning, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, I've set you up. What do you have to say about that, Aaron? So it's um, the landscape for Americans who live abroad uh, when it comes to their finances, whether they're retired or they're not retired, is very, very complicated. Um there are all kinds of issues out there that the Americans uh, have created that make banking in a, in, in a foreign country complicated. It make, they make investing complicated. Um, there can sometimes be double taxation issues. I don't want to get into the taxation too much because I'm not a, I'm a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant, but those issues are very, very important. And it, it's important for people to keep in mind because more and more Americans are retiring abroad um, obviously, you're, you know, giving up citizenship is another issue. But um, as more and more uh, Americans move abroad, they need to sort of be aware of the issues that are out there. And it's not, you know, it's not financial planning if you're living in Peoria. It's a completely different uh, landscape. And um, it even affects, you know, ideal. I'm a branch of an American brokerage firm. So I open up accounts in the states, but even with that, and that we're we're one of the firms who can work with expat Americans. There are a lot of big U.S. brokers who won't deal with Americans who live abroad. All most of the big boys won't deal with you anymore. Um, we're able to do so, but even in terms of certain types of investments, they might be off limits for you. Even in the U.S., they're off limits. Now, um, if you want to start, let's say you're working. Um, let's say in Israel, we'll just speak about my jurisdiction. If you're working in Israel, if you're an employee, there's certain, and you want to save money, there's certain investments which are sort of prohibitively off limits. They're not legally off limits, but they're what are called, and I don't want to get into the minutia, but what's called a PFIC. And that really limits what an American who lives abroad can invest in, in their, in their host, in their home country. Um, you can't invest in mutual Generally, funds. Generally, those or, would be thought of as non-U.S. mutual funds or ETFs, right? Or ETFs, exactly. exactly what I was going to say. You're only able to invest in, in uh, you're allowed to, right? It's not It's not a legal problem. It's a, a prohibitively high taxation problem um, that makes it pretty much off limits. And, and you have to, you know, the only way you can sort of invest in, in foreign countries is by, by investing in individual securities. And, you know, I know here, for a lot of for a lot of Americans who've moved to Israel, they don't speak the language, they don't follow the local companies. It's foreign for them. They're still they're living in a foreign country, but they don't know all the ins and outs of the stock markets or whatever. So it makes it very very complicated uh, to try and invest. And there are even certain company sponsored. Um, they're not pension plans. They're investment plans, um, which certain accountants would say are sort of off limits for Americans. And that's a perk that you get, right? So um, it makes it very difficult, very difficult to um, invest. And even bank, a lot of the banks here don't want to work with Americans. They just like, forget it, right? They've been burned already and they don't want to, they don't want to deal with the U.S. authorities and they just said, forget it. We're just not, you know, even if you want to, open up just a regular bank account for deposits and to get your salary in, right? And, and to go shopping with, they won't work with you. So it's a really, really tough 
um, field to navigate uh, for Americans who live abroad. Well, I, I would think, though, that that creates a, a special need for the kind of expertise you have both professionally and, shall I say, uh, you know, background wise or socially or whatever, because, you know, because of the dual citizenship. Um, I mean, you know, anybody who knows anything about this knows that you're 100 percent correct on this, at least 100 percent correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it just varies sort of uh, from country to country. But how do you approach solving these problems for, you know, so you have a U.S. citizen sitting in front of you who says, I am committed to saving. I am committed to investing. I am committed to all the principles. I heard this podcast you did with this John Richardson guy, and I agree with all of it, everything you said. How do you help somebody like that, though, that starts off with that kind of disability? Right. So, I, and I think that you sort of hit it off with things who start, who, who wants to start, right? If you, if you're sort of um, well off financially um, and you have assets, then there's solutions, right? There are companies that will work with you who will, who will craft specific portfolios for you to avoid the PFIC issues. But let's say you're the mass affluent or you're starting out. That's where the trick, that's where it becomes super, super tricky because there's no, there are no local service providers who are going to help you. Um, and you're sort of left to fend for yourself and you don't have enough money, but you're committed to the process. So what we do is, you know, we'll open accounts for people in the States. That's generally sort of the default is to send your money to the States and invest in the States. That's pretty, because that's, that's the way to do it. It might be unfortunate, but that's pretty much the only way to do it. Um, there are some, there are some people who will work with you or there are some products out there um, that will sort of allow you to in, invest in your local currency locally, but they're few and far between for most people, the, the solution um, again, outside monies, they might be putting away into a pension plan, which is okay. Um, but if they want to go above and beyond, they're going to pretty much have to move their money back to the States. Um, to invest. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, we can criticize it all we want, but the fact of the matter is that is that is the game right now. And those are the rules. And, you know, to avoid prohibitively high taxation, which will ultimately sort of derail even yeah. the best of intentions, right? You can start out and do everything by the book, but if you're paying 44% or whatever the number is in tax and you have to pay it every year because they're marking to market, all these kinds of things... At the end of the day, there's nothing nothing yeah, no, left, so it, you're sort of forced to move it. It's somewhere between difficult and impossible. Basically. Uh, Basically. So what I find on this is, uh, I mean, you know, we can sit here and we can talk logically about solutions, right? But what I am finding, and sort of, you know, I've been in this sort of dealing with this problem with people for, for a number of years. And what I find is that psychologically, a lot of Americans have just given up. You know, they just say, I'm an American, I'm disabled, I can't do anything. And, you know, this is a difficult problem to turn around, I think, isn't it? Because it's always more comfortable to not do anything, right? And, and, and sort of, oh, my God, I'm an American, I can't do anything. But a voice inside their head is always saying, thank God, I'm an American, I'm no longer obligated to do anything because I can't, because I'm disabled, because I'm American. I mean, how do you deal with that with that problem? I mean, it's not articulated, right? But there's a certain, I think, 
psychological undertone to that. Do you find that? Yeah. Um, people, to say that people get frustrated is, uh, you know, there might be children watching this, so I don't want to, I'll, I'll keep to the word frustrated, but it, it's, it's, like you say, it's hard to, um, people feel defeated, right? Because everywhere you turn, I personally had an issue with my own taxes. I don't want to get into it, obviously, but with my own taxes, my accountant came up with something. And I'm like, wait a second, if that's the case, then I can't do X, Y, and Z. And then, or if I do, I'm actually going to lose money because I'm going to pay more in taxes than I can ever make uh, in profits. And I was like, what? And I this happened yesterday. And I was like, ah, it sure stinks. It just stinks. I said that loud. It stinks to be an American and own your own business abroad. That's what I said. And, uh, you, you know, you have to keep, like, just like we were talking about before, trying to get ahead, you have to keep pushing. You can't let it get you down or you're not going to get ahead. Um, and, and the rules are what the rules are. But, um, you know, there are those who, you know, who will choose to give up citizenship. But like you said, for the, the people who say, well, I like being an American, that's not necessarily an option. And there are costs involved with that as well. So there's no perfect solution, that's for sure. Um, and just as an aside um, that I thought about from the last question, there's another big issue that, you know, a lot, as we mentioned at the beginning, a lot of people retire abroad. That's like been a big thing. They come to Israel, retire, they go to Panama, they go to Europe, you know, Latin America. It's a trend. Right. The people, especially, you know, in the early years, at least of retirement, they want to go see the world and they'll spend 10 years living abroad. And what they don't know is when the, the, the other big issue for American being abroad is not so easy to access your money that's in the States. Um, you might be able to use your credit card, but if you need, you know, a chunk of money more than your living expenses, let's say you want to buy a property or let's say you think the dollar is, you know, is sinking and your, your host country has a strong currency and you want to move money into that currency because you're living there, right? You don't want to lose money because of the currency issues. A lot of the firms won't transfer money abroad. A lot of the banks won't transfer money abroad. Um, the brokers won't, the brokerage firms won't transfer money abroad unless you show documentation. Now people come to me and say, well, what do you mean it's my money? Why can't I... Why don't I have to show documentation? I'm buying a car. I'm buying an apartment. It's my, you know, I, why why won't they let me have my money? And I was like, well, you know, they won't <laughs> until you show documentation that you're buying an apartment or you're, you know, they want to see the receipt from the car. All these different things um, for you to access your own money. And people, that's like the biggest shock I think for that's people crazy. who retire abroad. Huge shock. You know, that's interesting because that's a problem that I haven't heard of being in Canada. All right. Maybe it's just because it's, you know, I mean, Toronto is south of parts of the United States. Right. right. Um, but uh, I have heard this is the second time I've heard this problem from somebody in Israel, actually, now that I think about it. I mean, that, to me, that just is incredible. I mean, but it's a problem I, if you're retiring to Europe, you're pretty much everywhere except for Canada. Maybe if you're going to Mexico or, you know, I don't know. But once you cross the ocean, it's a huge issue. And a lot of banks, big banks, names that you would know, won't even do, they won't do any kind of wire transfer. They just won't do the wire. They won't do the electronic transfer for you. 
Um, here, like we do it, but we'll even we'll ask for documentation. So it makes things a little bit more difficult um, for people to even, like I say, to access their money is not always larger sums, right? If you need $1,000, so you can use your credit card or whatever. But if you need uh, a chunk of change for an ex a real expense, it's not so easy to access it. You have to give yourself a little more time because there are processes that are involved. And you're able to help people with that? We help people with that, but I'll tell you something else. Because of all the, the, the fear amongst foreign banks of dealing with Americans, at least here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same with European banks, the local Israeli banks, when the money comes in, let's say, we, let's say our firm will free up the money. You provided the documentation, we'll send the money. Then the receiving bank in Israel all of a sudden says, whoa, why? where's this money from? Did you pay taxes on this money? Were you laundering this money? They actually you've got to, yeah, you've got to go through hoops. You've got to get an accountant to write a letter for you. You might have a lawyer will write a letter. We'll write a form letter for you that you've been a, you had an account in good standing with us. It's complicated to actually access your own money. If if everything's legit and you paid your taxes and you go through the process, you'll get your money. But I know cases of people who didn't and were stuck because they had a lot of money abroad. And then no way of accessing it. And they needed like a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Not something they can, you know, use their credit card and take it out of the sure. uh, out of the ATM machine. And they were stuck. They had nothing to do other than come clean ultimately. Yeah. So that's a problem for the expat community, not so it, much for people who live their lives outside right. the United States. But man, that's a, that's another real horror story. U.S. citizenship is very complicated. You know, in 1996, uh, James Dale Davidson wrote this book called The Sovereign Individual. And this is in 1996. And he made a prediction that American citizenship was going to be the biggest problem in the 21st century for people, precisely because of these rules. And boy, was he right. Right. No question about it. Okay. Well, this has been an incredibly interesting conversation. Um, what would you like to add? What if you know if this is reverse? What would you which, what would you ask yourself? There's there's another issue that people should know about. Also, it's what they called accidental Americans, oh, right? Yeah, I've heard of those. You've heard of those, right? Those are the yeah. ones who are really like <laughs> they didn't choose anything. They just happened to be born to American parents. And they live wherever they live and they're American citizens. And, you know, through no fall of their own, all of a sudden they're thrown into this mess. They really have an issue because they have no connection whatsoever to the United States and the local banks won't deal with them. And, you know, it's that's another issue. I mean, it might be, a, you know, <laughs> that's a that's a talk on of itself, but it's an issue that people who move abroad should realize that they're setting themselves, they're setting their kids up um, for for complicated for, for, for complicated yeah. uh, adulthood, and that's where you come in, right? Where a lot of those people are giving up citizenship for sure. Oh, uh, you know what, Aaron? I don't think they have a choice. Yeah. You know, it's it's not. You know, everybody, every human being on the planet has their own set of issues, okay? And there's, you know, life is not perfect. Everybody has problems. But, you know, for different groups of people, I mean, everybody has to ask, really, which set of problems would you most rather deal with in life, right? 
I mean, you can't say I can get rid of these things, but, but you know, and for the people who have no connection to the United States, it is really, really, really difficult to make a case for retaining U.S. citizenship. You know, that's, of course, very different for somebody like you who grew up there or, or you know, or these, you know, expats, et cetera. But it's it's very, very different headspace. There's no question about it. I mean, why do you, I mean, I realize this is moving a little bit beyond the scope of, uh, you know, our initial discussion, but why does the U.S. continue this insanity? I mean, what what's the point of it? Do you have any theories on that? I have no, well, you know what? They want, it's another, it's another revenue source, I guess. That's all I can think of. I, I don't know why it, it makes, they're the only country in the world pretty much um, that, that, you know, that has these, these sort of draconian uh, laws and, and, and codes. And, um, you know, again, it's, it, it's not particularly fair here in Israel, especially you have plenty of, you know, accidental Americans who don't speak any English. <laughs> they don't speak English. They wouldn't know how to call the United States, and they're stuck having to pay U.S. taxes. It may, you know, and, and not getting served. Nobody will work with them locally. I mean, it's absurd. It's really, really absurd. But that's the situation. You got to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is so familiar to you and to me and to and to others who've you know seen it firsthand, both because both personally and vicariously, you know, but. Do you, I mean, my view of this is, I don't think that, I mean, this is hard enough to understand if you actually have to deal with it, but I don't think that any policymakers in the United States even understand what the, what this issue is. I mean, would you agree with that? Uh, you hit the nail on the head. I think that's the biggest issue. That's one of the reasons that nothing really has been done is because nobody has, you know, of the 538, you know, people in the, you know, in Congress, they, you know, in the Senate, they, nobody, nobody has these issues. And until you actually live it, you can't understand how preposterous it actually is. I think that's right. I mean, I had a very interesting experience a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was researching a, a, a tax treaty issue, actually. And I found an article written by a, a law professor in, in the U.S. And, you know, I reached out to him and, you know, we had a little bit of back and forth. And, you know, I explained how difficult the whole situation was for Americans abroad. And what his response to me was interesting. I mean, I didn't expect him to have be particularly interested in it, but, but his response was interesting. He said, you know, that's so odd because, you know, tax rates have never been lower in my life in the United States, like completely missing the point. It's not the rate of tax. It's the method of tax, right? You know, that's the problem. But, but I learned something from that because, you know, this is a very, an incredibly nice man who really went out of his way to find something for me in a library, you know, sent it over and, uh, you know, actually asked me about this a little bit. And I just sent a paragraph, you know, you know, I didn't want to overwhelm on the issue, but, you know, clearly, uh, I mean, unless you know anything about it, I think you tend to see this in, you know, in simple terms like tax rates or something. It has nothing to do with the issue at all. Right. Nothing at all. Yeah, it's the it's the methodology of it that's the problem. Yeah, for well, sure. This has been a very very interesting discussion, and I am very glad that I reached out to you because uh, I think that uh, I think that this is a, a podcast that people might learn something from. So, in closing, here, uh, how would people get in touch with you? So they can. I'm pretty pretty out there on on uh on social media you can get to me on my website at 
aaronkatzman.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-K-A-T-S-M-A-N. And that name, Aaron Katzman, you can find me on, uh, you can sign up for my YouTube channel where I have all kinds of videos and podcasts and um, go from there. Facebook, same thing. All right, that's great. And again, I'm speaking with Aaron Katzman in Jerusalem, Israel. And thanks so much for your insights. I leave this podcast feeling motivated. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome.